14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Done. Thank you, Alex. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. So this morning, we continue our Changed Thinking series where we look at various topics and we try and work out how God sees them and whether we need to change our thinking in line with God's. I've got a little clicker thing here. And it works. Brilliant. Um, right, this series is based upon, founded upon, if you like, Romans 12:2, where Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I just want to say two very, very quick things about Romans 12:2. Number one, it is possible to renew your mind, otherwise God would not ask you to do it. Number two, and this is really important, Paul uses the present tense in the Greek. So the word for the renewing is a continual process. So the Christian life, you do not have a light bulb moment where you have then got everything sorted. So if you're here feeling like a failure in your thoughts, please don't think that because renewing your mind is continual. So those are the basic foundations. For this series, we asked the church family to vote on topics, to vote for what you wanted us to talk about. And today's topic is mental health. And this was the most popular vote. Isn't that interesting? But it's not surprising, sadly. Our children are suffering. The battle over our kids' minds is fierce. The world is a much, much more confusing place than when I was young. When I was young, I was up trees, in rivers. These days, kids are like in front of screens, endlessly distracted, bombarded with nonsense. Influencers telling them they're not good enough, they're not good-looking enough, uh, they, they shouldn't be content, they're not fit enough. Our students, these days, last year alone, um, more students have mental health struggles than don't. 57% of students are suffering. Adults are suffering. There's something of an unseen crisis among adults in this country alone. Here's some statistics. 11 plus million UK adults report experiencing symptoms of mental health problems in any given week. 74% of UK adults have felt so stressed at some point over the last year, they felt un overwhelmed and unable to cope with life. One in five people in the UK had suicidal thoughts last year. Four million adults in the UK self-harmed last year. Isn't that heartbreaking? So this is a big topic, but we have a bigger God. We have a God of hope, a God with healing in his wings, a God of freedom, a God who promises to be with us in our struggles and to use us to help other people. And when I was preparing this, this big topic, I was getting so lost in like psychological models of understanding uh, human behavior, and I felt God say to me, keep it simple. So this morning, I'm just going to focus on three things. Number one, it's okay to not feel okay. 
Number two, we are to move towards those who struggle, not away from them. And number three, we need God's word. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So, number one, it's okay to not feel okay. And I am going to unashamedly use some Charlie Mackesy drawings in this talk. You know that I love them. Um, I'm, and there's a few, a few. So, let's talk about the miracle of the church car park. I heard about this phenomena during a mental health conference I went to a few weeks ago, and it's profound. The miracle of the church car park. It's Sunday morning, you're trying to motivate to get to church, the house is a bomb site, um, but you haven't got time to tidy it up. On the way out, you notice the cat has brought something in that's decapitated on the floor. You stand in the cat dish, you notice you've got odd socks, you haven't got time to change them. You get in the car, you have a family row on the way to church, and you arrive here. You take a deep breath before even setting foot out the car. And this is despite the underlying depression and anxiety that you've been struggling with. You take a moment, you put one foot on the tarmac outside. And something amazing happens. You walk across the tarmac, and then somebody on the welcome team smiles at you and says, good morning, how are you? And you smile back and say, I'm OK, thanks. The miracle of the church car park. We should get like the tarmac outside. We should sell chunks of it, or we should get people to come on pilgrimage to touch it. It's amazing. It's like holy ground. But the problem is, there hasn't really been a miracle. It's more like a mirage. The truth is, we're often emotionally, we feel like we can't be emotionally honest with each other. We feel ashamed to talk about our troubles and our struggles. But I just want to say this morning that shame has no place in the life of the believer. Anyone here who struggles, who feels ashamed, or maybe who struggled in the past and is struggling again, I just want to lift shame off you in Jesus' name. Shame has no place in the life of a believer. It is okay to not be okay. Jesus was emotionally honest, right? He shows in his life that it's okay to not be okay. He was fully God and fully man. So Jesus was the perfect man. Our definition of manliness should be Jesus. If, if, if you have a, um, uh, an image in your mind of what manliness is, um, we need to sort of, however the world has sculpted that, we need to melt it down and recast it in the mold of Jesus. Jesus was unafraid to be emotionally honest, to be vulnerable, to show weakness. He had all of the strength in the universe, but was unafraid to show weakness. When have you been at your strongest, asked the boy. When I have dared to show my weakness, said the horse. In Luke 19, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, what they call the triumphal entry, and he rides as the Prince of Peace on a donkey. And as he comes down from the heights, he sees Jerusalem in front of him, and he sees the sin, the rejection, and the brokenness of the city, and it breaks his heart, 
And it says he weeps as he rides. He laments. I think we've kind of lost lament. A few days later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane is a place where they would press olives until oil dripped from them. And in that garden, Jesus has the weight of the world on his shoulders because he knows what's coming and what he needs to go through for us. And he still did it. He did it for all of us. And in Matthew 26, it says that Jesus takes some disciples with him and he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He literally says, I feel so terrible I could die. And then he says to them, please stay awake. I just, you know, like I need to know that you're with me. As humans, we feel like intensity of emotion because we are made in God's image. We feel because God feels. Our emotions are analogous of the God who created us. Can you imagine the depth of emotion that God is capable of feeling? A God who is love. So in Gethsemane, the emotional strain on Jesus is so great that he sweats blood. A, a real phenomena, hematohydrosis, um, that is only caused under the most extreme emotional pressure. So Jesus' life and death is a testament to the fact that it is okay to not be okay. And, when, and we have to be okay with not being okay. We need to look to Jesus, the one who created us, and we need to forget the miracle of the church car park. When we understand that it's okay to not be okay, it frees us, it enables us to talk, to get prayer, to get help. What's the bravest thing you've ever said, asked the boy? Help. Sorry, I feel emotional. (laughs) I'm trying to embody what I'm talking about. Charlotte's mum died of cancer uh, in 2006, and her little brother, Tom, never really dealt with it. He never spoke to us. And um, he went travelling to Australia um, straight away. You know, he sort of escaped to the other side of the world. And when he came back... Uh, we said, Tom, um, I, think, I think it might be good if you got some counselling. And he agreed to go to a counsellor. And I'll never forget, he came back and we were like, how was that then, Tom? And he said, she was absolutely rubbish. She, never, she barely said anything for the whole hour. And we, <laughs> and we were like, yes. <laughs> because we knew he had talked about his pain for the first time. A lot of us can be silently drowning when there's people stood on the shoreline nearby who would help us if we spoke out. As we prepared for this talk, uh, we have huddles, holy little huddles, and I chose for my one um, the Harlem Globetrotters of mental health, Dr. Nick Green, Dr. Jess Douglas. 
and th they blessed me massively in, in my huddle. And I think I was rambling away saying what I might talk about, and then I was saying how some people will struggle and crawl their whole life, and we have to be prepared to crawl with them. And then Jess Douglas got very passionate and animated. And a passionate and animated Jess Douglas is a force to be reckoned with <laughs> in a good way. But she got so passionate because she is a mental health professional, a trained psychologist, and she has seen how treatment and um, counselling and psychological uh, techniques like CBT and even medication can help people. And she said, like, people crawl their whole, whole life who, if they went and got help, would be able to walk with their heads held high. A lot of people crawl through life. Um, who could walk. I looked it up, 61% of people in the UK with serious mental health problems don't access treatment that would help them. Sometimes God heals us instantly, um, profoundly, and he can heal us from any physical or mental um, health condition. But sometimes, in the words of Nick Green, it's a marinade, not a microwave. <laughs> it's a process. I thought, I'm nicking that, Nick. That um, it's okay to ask for help, and that includes professionals. It's okay to not be okay. So part two, we are to move towards those who struggle, not away from them. I want to tell a, a quick story from my life. A long time ago, 2002, I was just sort of coming to faith, and um, I was working in the games industry on a survival horror game in a, in a London studio, as you do. And I used to get a train to and from West Hampstead Station. And it's a really dark station, it's not very well lit. Um, it was dark, and when I got to the station, <coughs> I, I noticed a group of people on the platform looking at the uh, railway tracks, and I thought, oh no. So I went and uh, had to look at what they were looking at. And when I went over there, there was a, uh, a young lad with blonde hair, he looked a bit like a rock singer or something, without a top on, holding onto the tracks um, on his hands and knees with his head bowed. And I knew at West Hampstead Station, the high-speed trains that go through, you can see the light from them before you hear them. And it was pitch black. I knew, basically, I 100% knew I had time to get to him and, you know, was relatively safe. There was no trains coming. So I jumped down onto the tracks. I also knew that the third rail will kill you if you touch it, and I couldn't work out what the third rail was. So I did the weirdest, like, hop, skip and jump over to him, and I sort of was wailing like a banshee. I'd love to say I said something profound, but he just, I'll never forget, he just looked up at me, his eyes were wild, he never said a word, he just got got up onto the platform and ran up the steps um, out of the station. And this is, um, I couldn't get this story out of my head, and I haven't thought about this for years, and this is, I think, why. When I got back to my platform, a lady came up to me, and she said, Th thank you for doing that, and because no one was doing anything. No one was even saying anything. And I remember thinking, she was also on the platform, but clearly she thought that it was someone else's job to speak up. And I think we can be like that with people who struggle with mental health. 
I'm preaching to myself here, of course. Um, I think sometimes we can think that person clearly has some issues and I'm not qualified, so therefore someone else should talk to them, maybe over there in the corner. But we need to move towards people who struggle, not away from them. We don't need, we don't, we shouldn't just be experts in referring people to other people. Because above all, people need meaning, they need relationship, and they need to be heard, they need to be listened to and loved. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came down from heaven and he meets us in our mess, warts and all. In the Gospels, Jesus always made a beeline for the overlooked, for the oppressed, for those who struggle mentally, physically, socially. That's where Jesus was. That's who Jesus was with. And that's who we need to be with. He would always be with people that other people would be embarrassed to be stood near. So part two, we need to move towards those who struggle, not away from them. Part three, we need God's word. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Another quick story. So Charlotte and I started going out in 2005, and a few weeks after we started going out, I went to Africa um, to do um, work with the Mercy Ships in Liberia. And that country had been under the grip of evil for 14 years. Uh, you know, horrific things had happened. And I saw terrible things there, and I experienced terrible things there. Dead children, I found bodies. Uh, someone came at us with a machete, witch doctors um, cursing me. My best friend went into a coma, had to have a lumbar puncture in the middle of nowhere. Um, just terrible thing after terrible thing. I, when I was preparing the talk, I was listing it all. And it just honestly, I could talk for about 15 minutes about the things that happened. But that's not the point of what I'm sharing. Um, basically, I, started, I was leading the outreach team there, and I started to get ill. And while I was there, Charlotte's mum was dying of cancer. And um, when I was supposed to come back, you begin what's called a re-entry phase. And the first day of the re-entry phase, where they prepare you for coming out of missionary stuff, I got a phone call from Charlotte saying her mum had been given 24 hours to live. So I had to fly straight back from Liberia. And I got to see her dear mum and sort of say goodbye. And she was really poorly. And then I got really poorly. So, so much for helping Charlotte. And the following day, was admitted to hospital. Um, I'd gone from like um, 14 stone to under 10. And I was um, really ill. I got a, 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 a rare disease. And I was in, I, they put me in the top, top floor of Addenbrooke's where I was fed through the wall with rubber gloves and that um, for nine days. The day after I came out, Charlotte's mum died. Um, and it was a terrible, difficult time for all of us. And I started to suffer from anxiety. And I'm not just talking about normal anxiety. Um, I used to, I had this feeling of impending doom all the time, like something terrible was about to happen. Um, so I went to the doctor and he diagnosed me with GAD, general, general anxiety disorder and cumulative PTSD. Um, I went on medication. Which, which helped a lot, and after a few months was able to come off medication. 
But the reason I'm sharing this is this. So on top of all this, I developed what's called ROCD. So relationship OCD. So I just couldn't get out of my head this obsessive negative thoughts that Charlotte was going to leave me, that she didn't love me anymore. And I was trying to support her in her grief, and all the time I'm having these thoughts and really struggling to even act normal. So I bought a book on CBT. Um, and among, the other, among various techniques, it said one thing you can do, if you're struggling with irrational negative thoughts patterns, then one thing you can do is write down the rational truth. Okay, so you sort of fight, fight it with truth. So I got Charlotte, it was quite embarrassing, I got Charlotte to sit with me and I told her all of the negative thoughts that I'd been having. And so I sort of said, I feel like you don't love me and that you're going to leave me. And then she told me the truth. She said, Daniel, you plonker. I do love you and I'm not going to leave you. So I wrote down the truth. I probably left the plonker bit out. And I think I was supposed to carry this round with me, but the act of writing down the truth set me free. I didn't, it, it sort of conquered these negative patterns of thinking that I was having. Just the truth was enough. And I think often when we struggle with mental health, uh, we can believe lies. Lies about ourselves, about the world around us. I'm not good enough. People hate me. I'm worthless, no one loves me, I'm ugly, I'm a burden, I'm useless, I'm a failure. But our thoughts and the way that we think about ourselves is often distorted when we struggle mentally. It's a bit like we're in, you know, those dark hall of funny mirrors that you get. And we need God's light to lead us out. We need his word. We need to get in his word and see what he says about us. See his ultimate truth. And God's truth is able to gently lead us out of the hall of funny mirrors. Right, I'm just going to rip a page out of my Bible. Ezekiel chapter 3. I'm just going to eat this. Mm. Can anyone tell me what Ezekiel chapter 3 tastes like? Uh, yes. It tastes like honey, and it's stuck to the roof of my mouth. <laughs> when I was uh, rehearsing this, I didn't have a dry mouth. <laughs> I don't think this happened to Ezekiel. So in Ezekiel chapter 3, God gives his word to Ezekiel in the form of a scroll. And he says, take this scroll and eat it. Like, get it inside you. He says, literally, fill your stomach with it. Psalm 119, um, David writes, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Great peace have those who love your word. Nothing can make them stumble. We need God's word inside us. We need to get it into our souls, we need it inside us. For those of you who struggle with anxiety, find out what God says about his peace. Like read um, Psalm 3, how David is surrounded by enemies and he says, yet um, he is peaceful. It's like this picture of tranquility in the eye of a hurricane. Mountainous seas all around and yet David is still. 
For those of you who struggle with OCD, read about the freedom that we have in Jesus. Where the, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For those struggling with depression and that sort of sense of hopelessness hanging over you, internalize the word of God, the hope that we have in Christ. Try and get it inside you, treasure it in your heart. Psalm 131, wait with hope, hope now, hope always. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will return in the morning. For those who struggle with thoughts of suicide, you need to know how precious you are to God, how precious your life is to him. Psalm 17, you are the apple of God's eye. It says you can hide under the shadow of his wing. Zephaniah 3, God is in your midst, a mighty warrior to save. He shall rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you and your thoughts with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I need a drink. <laughs> I stuck to my lip. <laughs> it's funny because when I was thinking about this um, the other day, I was thinking about this part of this talk and I looked out the window at my house and I saw a pigeon choking on a crab apple. <laughs> I, I, I thought I, God often talks through nature, doesn't he? And it wasn't actually choking. I just, oh yes, brilliant, thank you. I might dissolve it and then drink it. <laughs> Cheers, Richard. Um, oh, don't leave drinks on carpets. Um, yeah, and I was looking at this pigeon, and actually it wasn't choking. I just thought it was. I, I was preparing to go out and give this pigeon a Heimlich manoeuvre. But it, it, like this crab apple, the size of its head, it was just sort of moving, and then eventually it went down, and it was like something out of a cartoon. You could see the lump go down. Sometimes we need to chew on God's word. Like, it doesn't go in straight away. If you read God's word and think, I can't believe that about myself, you need to chew on it, you need to meditate on it, and one day you will be able to swallow it. When his word takes root in your heart, it illuminates from the inside and it becomes like a banner of truth over your life. And the final few words I want to say is that we need Jesus. That could have been the whole talk. I thought one day I'm just gonna say, we need Jesus and sit down, that'll be the whole talk. We need Jesus. You see, the whole of God's word, everything in it points to him. He is like the message personified. He is logos. In Greek, the word became flesh. And the invitation from him is this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. I just want to end where we began. This is Jesus' promise to us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. 
Jesus, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would lead us out of the hall of funny mirrors. I pray that anyone here who struggles with self-perception, with uh, the world around them, may your truth be a banner over their life. May you lead them gently away. May they see themselves as you see them. And may the truth set them free. Help us, God, to know that it's okay to not be okay. Help us to be a family who move towards those who struggle and not away from them. And above all, God, would we have peace in your name. As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every single way. Amen. Amen.